This morning we are uh, honored to have speaking here uh, in our Bible conference, Dr. Brian Peterson. Brian uh, actually graduated from Bob Jones Academy and Bob Jones University, graduated from the university in 1997. He went on to serve in ministries in North Carolina, Wisconsin, and now he has been pastoring for the last 10 years at the Lebanon Baptist Church in the north side of Atlanta, Georgia. I've known Brian a long, long time, and I have never known Brian at a time when he did not have a passionate, fervent, committed love for Jesus Christ. That's all I've known him as. And I'm so glad that he can be a part of our Bible conference this year as he speaks, as we look at our theme from different angles. And I know that you will enjoy his message. Please pray for him as he comes to speak, and let's give him a warm welcome today. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes 3. I am indeed honored to be here and to open God's Word here for Bible conference. I am so thankful for the enormous investment that so many here, uh, even those who have continued to be on faculty since I was here, that have had on my life. I can say uh, it is by the God, God's grace that I am here, but God used so many people in this room, and I am so thankful for that. This morning, as I, uh, uh, or really a number of weeks ago, as I considered the theme of God's steadfast love, I couldn't help but be drawn to one of the areas that God shows his steadfast love to me. And that is, that is his divine sovereignty over all the events of life, all the events of your life and all the events of my life. It's one way that he shows his hesed to each of us. Today, I want to direct your attention to a text of Scripture that is often read at funerals. And, uh, but this text, I believe, as we unpack it, I believe can be a tremendous help to each one of you. Listen to what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 1. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. 
He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I come again, and I ask for divine enablement from you to help us to understand what this text of Scripture unveils to us about your great character. Lord, our hearts are that you would work within this student body. I know over the last number of days I've heard of your work at other universities. Seems as if you may be doing some things on other campuses. Why not here, Father? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Lord, I ask that you would use this message and all that are to follow, that you would tune our hearts indeed to praise you, and that we would see you anew over the course of these services. And Father, that we would live for you, because there is nothing greater than that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Poetry can be extremely poignant. Poets use words, rhymes, meter, metaphors to dramatically communicate a message. Possibly some of you happen to use poetry yesterday on Valentine's Day. We sung poetry just a few moments ago. Many of the songs that are written have all of those elements. It captures our hearts. However, normally when we discuss poetry, let's say in a literature class, we discuss it using prose or just normal talking. You don't normally say, hey, let's discuss this poetry, piece of poetry, and all of a sudden one of the students just starts to discuss it with poetry himself. In our text this morning, what happens is this. The writer gives us a beautiful bit of poetry. And then he closes it out with some prose or just plain talking and explanation. It's an explanation how we are to live life under the sun. All through the book of Ecclesiastes, you have that phrase, under the sun. Under the sun is our fishbowl, the realm of life that you and I can see. I'm looking at a group of young people and, of course, adults who are out right now just living life under the sun. For some of you, it's like a romantic poem. Or as I talked with Dr. Horn yesterday, maybe it'll change this week, okay? Uh, 
Some of you, your life right now is more like a horror novel. Some of you, it's like a journal, and it seems like it's just going nowhere in life. Today, what I'd like for you to see in this text is a simple truth, and it's this. Since God is in control of every season of your life, worship him and live life to the fullest. Let me say that again. Since God is in control of every season of your life, worship him and live life to the fullest. The author of the book of the Ecclesiastes, he calls himself the preacher. I personally believe it was the man Solomon. And he's often accused in this book of spending the first 11 chapters with a secularist mindset. That God is really not in his picture. Let me say that is wrong. God is in his picture all the way through this book. He heralds repeatedly through all the different pages how you and I are to live life right now. I, I kind of look at the theme of this book is this, how to live it up in a broken down world. And by up, I mean this, with a heavenly mindset, with the vertical mindset, with God in the picture, where you set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. So this book is about how to live it up with an eye toward heaven, but also how you are to live it up on earth. How you are to live with joy and vigor, embracing every moment as from the hand of God. Because let me say that your days are short. Your life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And you might as well learn how to live now. So in our text, what we're going to see is three key lessons that uh, show us this particular truth that you see behind me. And the first is this. Every event in your life has been appointed. Our text opens with a declaration. Look at again what it says in verse number one. He says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Here we have two parallel statements about life, and here he calls it under heaven, which once again is our frame of reference. What the preacher does is he uses two terms. Notice he says everything, and then he uses every purpose to encompass all of life's events. He says everything, every purpose has a season or a time. These two Hebrew words that underline your English translation here have a sense that they have an appointed plan about them. In fact, the verb form of season implies not a haphazardness, but a predetermined boundary. There's a stop and there's an end. Kind of like when I signed my son up for baseball uh, just a few weeks ago. I signed him up for a season, and they said it's going to start in February, it's going to end in May. In the same way, God is saying that every event in your life has an appointed season and time. Sadly, we often look at life, 
our own lives as kind of a smorgasbord of chaos. No ultimate calendar. All these events are kind of unplanned and they're subject to the winds of chance, karma, the luck of the draw, or maybe our own getting out there and doing something. But from the outset of Ecclesiastes 3, we learn that everything, all events, have been planned. We'll see this predetermined plan. Uh, it'll be confirmed in the broader context of this text. But notice what the preacher does now. The preacher, Solomon, then begins to list all these different times. In fact, there's 28 times he uses the word a time. And they're in 14 different pairs. The poem begins with the opposite ends of your life. Your life and your death. And we don't have time to study the whole book of Ecclesiastes, but this particular book from the outset helps you to remember death is in your view. It's the reason why we, we strive with vanity. This life sometimes, it appears incredibly enigmatic. And when you read through these 28 lists, it's a list almost like you're flipping through a photo album of ancient Israeli life. All different segments of life. Some of them are difficult. Some of them are incredibly joyful. It's almost like scrolling through someone's story on social media and just seeing, oh, these are the the events of the, the last year or years of their life. As you read through the list, there's probably some confusion about events like what does it mean by casting away and gathering stones? Well, if you lived in Israel, you would learn that Israel is filled with stones. In fact, one commentator said that tour guides will often tell people when God sent an angel to spread stones across the world, he tripped in Israel. And and what they would often do is uh, they would sometimes scatter stones in a field to make it difficult if their enemies were to conquer and to try to plant themselves. Then you, of course, you have the time for embracing and not embracing. That was not necessarily a prophecy of COVID-19, nor was it a prophecy of your time here at Bob Jones University, okay? But it probably, of course, alludes to marriage intimacy. But as you read through this poem, what you see is this. These are the days of your life. We all have seasons of life. Adolescence, those of you who are up front here, you're, so many of you, you're in your college years. Graduations. I ran into a young lady yesterday. At least it was yesterday. It's just 80 days. 80 days. Graduation's coming. Weddings. Parenthood. Anniversaries. Vacations. Funerals. Every event that is going to happen in your life, they may seem haphazard, especially death, when death enters the picture in various facets of your life. But let me tell you, they are all set times. Every event has an appointed season. And from your vantage point and from my vantage point, life has cycles and seasons. But then Solomon, after he gives this beautiful piece of poetry... He poses this question. Listen to what he says in verse 9. 
He says, what profit hath he that worketh in all there, there or wherein he laboreth? He says, what's the purpose? What's the use? What is this all about? Now, if you haven't gotten there yet, there is going to be a day that all of you in the midst of your life, you're going to come to a point, probably like Solomon, and you're going to see the brokenness of this world, and you're going to see how this world is frustratingly enigmatic, and you're going to say, what's the use? What's the purpose? What's all this chaos in life? And you need to learn this second truth, and it's this. God is the master architect of life. God is your master architect. God now shows up on the scene here in Ecclesiastes 3. Listen to what it says in verse 10. He said this, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised with. In fact, over the the rest of the text, nine times you're going to see God's name mentioned in these verses. The preacher here has God all over his worldview. And what he'll begin to do is in our text, he begins to show us kind of three little gifts that he gives to man. Special little gifts. Now, these aren't part of my outline. These are some side gifts. But what does he give you as you navigate life? Well, the first gift is he gives you this business of navigating all these appointed events. The God of the universe is your appointment scheduler. In fact, in in Ecclesiastes 3.13, he added an adjective on that. He says, it's an unhappy business sometimes. Or it's a business that's kind of sore travail. You know what? Life sometimes has its ups and downs and challenges. It's rough because of the fall. The children of Adam, you and me, are given the business, this business by God. Living life through all of these events. You may think that you get to decide all of those things. But let me tell you, you really don't, you won't decide when you get to start a family or this or that. God is your appointment scheduler. But he doesn't stop there. The text begins to give an assessment of God's scheduling appointments in your life. Now listen to what he says next in verse 11. He, talking about God, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Now it's here that some of you just pulled out the flag and you threw it on the field and said, what? Have you seen all the events of my life? He has made everything beautiful in its time? Everything? I mean, if you look at the 28 items there in the poem, some of them don't look too beautiful, do they? Kill, death, war. There's going to be some very difficult times. I was talking to a grad this past week from BJ. She says, I would have never have known 
that I would, at the time I was in school, that I wouldn't get married till I was after 30, and that my first husband would die very young. You don't have any idea of all the events that are coming down your schedule. Some of you may not even make it to graduation. And when we look at the seasons of our life, you know what they often don't look like? They don't look beautiful. Maybe it's abuse, sickness, relational difficulties, death. You turn on the news and it doesn't look too beautiful there. How can Solomon say that God has made everything beautiful in its time? Now, some of you said, I've heard that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And that means that uh, God and I must not see eye to eye. And let me tell you, you're exactly right. You and God don't see eye to eye. You don't stand from the vantage point that God stands at. And that's what this verse says at the end. Go to the end of verse 11. It says this. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to end. You and I who are sons of Adam, sons and daughters of Adam, we we don't see the big picture. We only get to see edges of the canvas at times. And from our vantage point, it doesn't all look beautiful. It's like, what's going on here? I don't like this. Why do you and I have that internal struggle so often within us? And that's the middle phrase of this verse. I don't know if you've ever caught it. Listen to what it says in the middle of verse 11. It says, also, he has set the world in their hearts. That word world is better translated, he has put eternity into your heart. God put eternity into every person's heart. That's his second gift to you. Not only has he given you life, he's given you eternity. And you and I have a desire within ourselves to kind of connect all the dots. We want to see how God is working all of these events out. But we can't because of the fall and because of our own finitude. But from God's position, let me tell you, everything is perfect. In fact, Psalm chapter 18 verse 30 says this, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried He is a buckler to all those who trust in him. It says in Isaiah 46, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Listen to what he does. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Do you know what Ecclesiastes 3 verse 19, uh, 3 verse 11 is? I believe it's the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Of course, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And of course, that Romans text is in the midst of one of the greatest sections of God's steadfast love in Romans 8. And what this text is saying to us is that God is in control of everything and he's working it out to its perfect end. I've sometimes tried to explain God's big picture with a poster I saw years ago of Abraham Lincoln. It was this picture of Abraham Lincoln. It was just his profile. And this one picture, or really it was a mosaic, it was made up of hundreds and hundreds of pictures from the Civil War. Some of them were from Antietam. Some of them were from Gettysburg. Some of them were incredibly rough uh, events within those years. But the way this mosaic was made, they placed all of these pictures together so that when you saw Abraham Lincoln's profile, it was like, it fits. It's perfect. It's just the way it's supposed to be. In the same way, God is the master painter. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has made all things beautiful in its time. You may not see it now. You may wish you can see the beginning from the end. You may wonder why that suicide? Why that early death? Why those mistakes at the hospital? Why that timing? That didn't work out good for me. Of course, Dr. Pettit mentioned last night Joseph. Joseph, his life is an incredible picture of God's control over the, all the events of life. He had so many bad things happen to him through the sin of other people. But God had an ultimate plan and he worked them all for his good. You remember what it says in Genesis 50 verse 20? He says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So if you're here today, you need to to grasp these truths. You need to grasp that all of the events of your life have been appointed, that God is the master architect, and you must grow in this understanding to do what the text is going to call you to do in just a moment. Because in our text, Solomon learns two key lessons, and both of them begin with this little phrase, I know that. Did you catch him in there? He says this, I know that. So what did he learn first? Look what it says at the beginning of verse 14. I know that whatever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, for God doeth it. God's work is an everlasting work. You can't mess it up. You may think you can. My uh, children used to love to watch Bob Ross, maybe the painter Bob Ross. And when Bob would be painting, and if he would make a mistake, which was rare, okay, he would say, oh, I'll just make that into a bird. And then when the painting's all done, you look at it, do you see any mistakes? No. It looks just the way it was supposed to look. God makes no mistakes. 
We do. But he's painting it all. He's working it all in his perfect way. And then our text ends with a very difficult verse to interpret. Look at it says in verse 15. It says, that which hath been is now. And that which is to be already has, or already has been. And God requireth that which is to pass. So what he's saying here is this. The present, it's happening, it's happened in the past. And the future is in the present. And what this seems to be talking about is how God brings all of these events together. That little phrase, his requiring that which is past, has this idea that God is shepherding all the events to their rightful end. All of the events of life are almost like wayward sheep that seem lost forever and that need some sort of rescue. But God is the grand weaver of time. And he is going to bring it all to its rightful end. You know, our society has always been fascinated with time travel. Hollywood has loved time travel. When I was growing up, one of the big movies was Back to the Future. And if you could, if you could travel through time, you could fix the mistakes of the past. In your generation, it was Avengers Endgame. Hey, if we could just manipulate time and go back and switch some things up, we can fix it all. So did you see how our culture is trying to fix things like this? And they think, hey, if someone could control time, let me tell you, there is someone who can control all time. And he is the master weaver of everything. And one day it's not going to happen just in Hollywood. It's going to happen perfectly. And so you might as well submit to him now. He is doing everything just right. Have you rested in the truth that God is the grand architect of life? Probably the greatest illustration of God's master planning is the story of redemption. I love the moment Adam and Eve sinned. You remember that? In Genesis 3, they sin and they go into hiding. Immediately after they sin, what's happening? God comes to them calling in the cool of the garden. That's grace. We find that even prior to that, that God planned redemption from the foundation of the world. All the Old Testament events lead to the New Testament. All the Old Testament was the need. All the New Testament is the supply. All of them fit together. All the prophecies testify of God's flawless timing. You study Daniel in the 70 weeks and how Messiah would show up in Jerusalem at just the time he was supposed to show up. You read Zechariah, and he gives prophecies how one day the king's going to come, and he's going to come to Zion a certain way. Listen to what he's, uh, Zechariah 9, 9 says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding on an ass, and upon the colt of the fowl of an ass. And you know what? Jesus showed up on Jerusalem right at the perfect time. 
In fact, all during Jesus' ministry, you remember what he said? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then, Passion Week, my time has come. He allowed himself to be crucified, all impeccably planned by the architect, such that Peter, when he preached to the crowd there at Pentecost, would say this. He would say something beautiful. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised from up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden by it. Bob Jones University, God has everything planned. He is the master architect of it all. You don't need to understand all of that plan, but you do need to receive his son, and he will teach you how to trust that plan in your life. And that brings me to my final point, and that's this. As you worship him, live your life to the fullest. Say, where do you see this? Well, as Solomon, I keep saying Solomon, and he's the one I believe is the uh, writer of this, the preacher, as he perceived God's plan, how does he counsel you to respond Listen to what it says in verse 14. Halfway through verse 14, he says this. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Everybody in this room, at some point, you have to learn how to fear him. Now, there's a lot of confusion. What does it mean to fear God? The term does seem to be a little confusing. Of course, it's not terror or being scared of God. But as I believe one of my professors when I was here at BJ defined it, fear is this, worshipful submission. Worshipful submission. It's a term... In the Old Testament, kind of like we use in the New Testament, this is walking with Jesus. This is submitting your life to Christ. This is what it means to walk with God. Let me tell you, all of you, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you might as well learn now to submit to him. And worship him and know him. You say, how do I know him? You know him through his son. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus Christ. He has made him fully known. You have to submit your life to Jesus Christ. Have you chosen to worship God through his son and submit your life to him? Because it's that. It's the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. It is that what changed my life many years ago. When I finally decided in my own life, do I, am I going to live for me? Or is God truly who he, who he is, who he says he is? And will I submit my life to him? And finally I did. And God changed me. It's then 
we must learn how to live this way every day of our life. You get up and you look at the vanity of life, but then you grab a hold and say, God, you're in charge of all these things. I'm going to live in submission to you. I'm going to accept each day as a gift from you. I understand that you're the grand architect. I'm walking in the fear of you. And this frees you up for one final gift. And it's this. It is life to the fullest. Notice his other perception. Look what it says in verse 12. He says, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Now, you see that little phrase, there is no good in them. That means this, there is nothing better. There is nothing better for you when you understand this than to rejoice and to do good all of your life. Then it goes on and elaborates in verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. You know what that final gift is? The final gift is that you get life in a broken world, but you understand what's going on because God's in charge. You're submitting to him and you know his son And then it frees you up to actually enjoy life how it was meant to be lived. You were lived to run under the fuel of God. That's why you were created. Those of you who have understood you were created by him, you are doubly his. He created you and then he redeemed you. So what do you need to do? Give your life to him and then go and enjoy life. Eat, drink, Do good all the days of your life. Knowing that this, everything, all of life has been filtered by God's hand. He used to love that phrase, carpe diem. Seize the day. Go and seize the day. You know what this is? This is almost what Solomon's saying. Seize the day with God in the picture. It's more like quorum deo, before the face of God. I'm going to live my life for him. This is what life's about. I hope that you'll catch and you'll learn these truths now. So what have we learned today? Simple truth. Since God is in control of every season of your life, worship him and live life to the fullest. That is what God's steadfast love, that's what he's made available to you. So what season of life are you in? Do you believe that God is in control? Have you submitted your life to him? Let me encourage you. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. There is nothing greater in life than to live for God and to know him through his son. And you know what? Let him shepherd you through all the days of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your steadfast love. I thank you for displaying this hesed to us through your divine sovereignty over all events. Lord, would you now take the words of this text and would you engrave them on our hearts? And may we be people 
that are not simply hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.